The views and opinions of this podcast are solely those of the creators and do not reflect any streaming service or platform. This podcast contains strong language and contrarian viewpoints that may be objectionable to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to Three Geeks in a Microphone podcast. I'm Dean. I'm Art. Russ cannot make it with us today. He has a vintage toy sale he is hosting. So today we have two special guests, Mr. Matt Swafford of Vintage Reclaimers Vintage Toys. Jesus Christ, I did it again. (laughs) One of these days I will get it right. Matt, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And our channel's good friend, Miss Maria. How are you, ma'am? Hi, I'm doing good. Good, good. So today we are going to be doing a review of the 1985 horror comedy House, starring William Cat of uh, Greatest American Hero fame. There's some quick side notes here. This Memories of this film? Uh, have you ever, everyone seen it before, or was this a first-time view for you? Oh, I, saw it, I saw it when I was, uh, I think when I was seven or eight years old, when it first came out on VHS. Um, it was one of those, I mean, has a legendary VHS box cover. So, you know, I remember the tagline, the ding dong, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, yeah, I've got to see this. Um, loved it when I was a kid. But yeah, I saw it, saw it first run VHS. I think I saw it when it came out on HBO. I wasn't supposed to see it. But I did anyway. Maria? Yeah, I, um, I'm still trying to figure. I can't see you guys. Um, uh, okay. So I saw it when, it, well, I grew up on horror movies. And so when they came out, I immediately saw them. My dad was into horror movies. So I saw it um, when it came out at a young age. So um, always loved it. It was a great movie. Um, it is a great movie. Watched again last night, probably for literally the hundredth time. Um, I, I highly recommend it to anybody who wants a good horror comedy. And as Art said, um, the who's who of the 80s um, is kind of in there. So it, it, it has a little bit of everything. It has a lot of comedians. Um, I think I've said also before how it did what Ghostbusters did. It's comedians who are in a horror movie. So, mm-hmm. Well, let's go over some technical, there, I guess technical specs of the film. Um, this, has, this movie has a lot of connections to Friday the 13th. Um, it was... It was produced by Sean S. Cunningham, who did Friday the 13th. It was directed by oh my, uh, Steve Miner, who was an assistant director on Friday the 13th 1, and he directed uh, Friday the 13th 2 and 3. Uh, even some of the, uh, the actors in there made cameos in the Friday the 13th movies. Uh, of course, it stars William Catt, George Went. Richard Mall and Kay Lentz. Uh, it was released on February 28th, uh, 1986, according to the information I have, or it could be 80, 86, yeah. Budget of $3 million and it made $22.1 million worldwide. In today's dollars, uh, it cost $7.3 to make, and it would have grossed $54 million in 2021 dollars. That's a huge pull for a, for a lower budget 
movie too. I can mm -hmm. see why they made so many sequels. Right. So let's walk through it. Um, so it, I think this has one of the coolest opening shots for the credits of any movie I've seen in a long time. How it has the it it shows the house and it flips from uh, the a negative aspect, you know, the, the blue and grays, how they, they flip the polarity on the film. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting choice. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that since or before. <laughs> Me neither. So, yeah. um, go ahead. Oh, no, go on. Just go on. No, sorry. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so, it opens up, we get a, a, a shot of this beautiful house, which is a real house in Northern California. It was built in 1874. Um, they did add some stuff to it uh, for the production, like the sidewalk was not there. The, the wrought iron fencing and the brickwork in front of the house, that did not exist. They added that for the production. Hmm. And the production crew came in four weeks early and did they redid all the landscaping they even redid the back of the house uh replacing the clabbered with brick huh. to match it up that's one of the things i noticed i mean immediately because i hadn't seen this since i was you know eight eight years old or whatever but i liked that the house looked like a normal house it wasn't you know, overly gothic or grotesque or creepy or anything like that. It looked like a house that a relative would live in. Mm -hmm. um, and that that pool in the backyard is badass. Yeah, it's very unique. <laughs> I even have a note in here. It's a very unique looking pool. Yeah, the, it kind of um, doesn't go with the house, but it it, it, it I kind of like that it didn't aesthetically match the house. It's kind of like, oh, wow, this, this is like a little grotto pool. And then the house is a completely different style. I, just, I thought that was a, a neat juxta, juxtaposition. When they, when they filmed this, the, the ground floor is the actual house. And some of the shots of the second floor are, but then they move to a record or a, a soundstage and they meticulously recreated the second floor on a soundstage to match what was in real life so they could, you know, if they had to destroy doors and whatnot, they're obviously not going to do that to a hundred plus year old home. That makes sense. Yeah. We, we start off with the grocery boy <laughs> deli <laughs> delivering uh, groceries to the house. How insulting is that too, that they couldn't, they couldn't give him a name. <laughs> yes. It's just, it couldn't I, be, hey, this is Bobby, the grocery boy. It's just grocery boy. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's riding a vintage spree i don't know if you noticed that or not he's riding a vintage honda spree <laughs> so he gets up you know, knocks on the door the creep the creepy house and of course no one answers he sets the the uh, the groceries on the table and says hey you know i'll collect next week you know there's no one here and you hear this weird noise so he creeps upstairs and he stops and he notices the picture on the stairwell as he's coming up. He even says, what does he say? Like, that's rad or something like that. He takes note of it, goes up and he's looking for Mrs. Hooper and opens the door and she has hung herself 
inside and he runs out and takes off. You know damn well if that movie was made today, he'd have walked right past that corpse because he'd have had his nose in his cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> he'd have been playing Candy Crush or some shit. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't before have he ran out, he would have taken a, a picture of her too and like posted it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, he'd have like like a douche smiley face, you know, he'd be like right up next to her, like waving and shit. <laughs> Hashtag all in the day's work. <laughs> Hashtag old lady hung herself. Hashtag I'm getting out of here. Hashtag keeping the groceries. Hashtag grocery boy life. So and I, I find it funny because when he runs out and jumps back on his spree, it's almost like he takes his time to start up the engine and get moving. Was it just me or am I the only person that noticed that? It just He definitely takes... had a, a, a hesitation. Yeah, it was like yeah. he, he wasn't in no sense of urgency. <laughs> so next we move on to the the next shot is the funeral where they're they're burying mm-hmm. the aunt. And the first time we see William Cat. Now I, I forgot to look him up. The old guy he's talking to, who is he? Is he just like a family friend or I don't think they ever actually said. Yeah. Because he, he goes on this long thing about how your aunt was such a nice woman, but she wasn't crazy. My wife is crazy. Your aunt, your aunt. Because they never go back to the guy. You never see him again. Right. And, and the actor, I've seen him before, but I, I truthfully, I forgot to look him up. I feel like the whole reason he was there was to try to set the tone for the viewer that Oh, no, she didn't just hang herself because, like, no, she wasn't crazy. There was nothing wrong with her. So to kind of develop that sense of dread, it, I didn't look too far into it. I just thought it was like, okay, this is, this is, they're using this, this character and this guy is like, you know, almost like a, a bullet point in the plot. Almost um, like not so subtle foreshadowing. Yeah, it's like like oh, we need a foreboding guy to just be like oh no, she wasn't crazy. Trust me, believe me, and you know, so like hmm, there must be more to this house than mm-hmm. we've seen so far. So uh, from the we get through the it's a fairly quick scene. I mean they they you see the foot hit the little motor to lower the casket, and next we learn that William Cat Robert Cobb is an author. He's a horror author, and. This is probably the creep, one of the strangest shot scenes in the movie where he's doing the book signing and the whole line of these weirdos trying to get, they're either in love with his writing or in love with his ex-wife, who uh, is a soap opera star. This scene to me felt like, felt like, a lot of times when you see a a character in a movie that's a writer, mm -hmm. that's the script writer projecting uh what it's like to be a writer um and i feel like that's what was happening here whoever wrote the script i I know fred decker came up with the idea and the original story but um someone else i can't remember his name but he wrote the script and Um, changed quite a bit but um i i felt like that was inside the writer's view of like crazy fan people where when they have to do those signings there's always like oh yeah, I really love your wife when she was in that show. And right. Then there's the guy that's like, oh, what's your next book about? Oh, it's about Vietnam. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that sounds fun. Great. <laughs> and, and like, there's always the, just that, that kind of menagerie of weirdos um, 
that you've run into with any kind of fandom really mm. um there's never just the normal straight arrow middle of the road person that's like hi i really love your work thank you for what you do <laughs> it, it, there's always some tinge to it that's that's kind of lunatic well speaking of uh the screenplay was written by ethan wiley and interesting here um earlier in his career he was an effects artist and puppeteer on Return of the Jedi, Gremlins, and Romancing the Stone. Wow. Okay. And you're right. The story was written by Fred, Dre- or Fred Decker. He is mostly known for directing Night of the Creeps, but he also wrote Monster Squad with Shane Black. Yeah. He, um, Fred Decker is pretty, uh, he, he's very well respected. Um, he didn't do a whole lot, uh, especially in the, the, the kind of the zenith of his career. Um, he had kind of a short run, but, um, he's kind of come back around. I know he, uh, he wrote the predator, uh, from a couple years ago that Shane Black directed and, um, he did RoboCop three. He did something else in 85. Um, I can't remember right now. I'm, you can obviously tell I'm not prepared for this. (laughs) That's all right. Fuck away that one guy did it, whatever his name is. Um, <clears throat> something else in 85. I can't put my finger on it, but he, um, yeah, he had a great little run there with Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps. Again, back to this, this, this scene we're talking where all these weirdos are getting their books signed. Now, I'm, I'm a big Friday the 13th fan. Did you, the uh, Roberts, what is uh, his publisher? The guy sitting to his right with the kind of like the crazy perm in the yeah, mustache. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity right there. That should have been Robert Culp. Oh, <laughs> that would have been killer. Yes. But that guy was in Friday the 13th Part 3. He was the grocery store owner who was, I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, you know, the guy who's walking around with the rabbit and he's eating the peanuts right out of the jar. The real gross dude. And it hit me because I'm watching it going, I, why do I know his voice? And then it hit me. I'm like, oh, he was in Friday the 13th. <laughs> so, and you see the reaction when he says, well, what's your next book about? What's going to be my personal experiences in the Vietnam War? And the guy's like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that guy, the uh, the, the chubby guy with glasses. Yes. Um, I Every time I see that guy, all I can remember him from is a movie called Hamburger, the Motion Picture. And he's one of the the you know the cadets or whatever that goes to Burger College, and he's like obsessed with eating, and he like shocks himself. And he shocks himself, but oh, yeah, yeah. He, like, he hooks up this thing to himself and shocks himself so that he won't be hungry. And every time I see that guy for the rest of my life, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's the hamburger guy. <laughs> oh, I found out what uh, what else Fred Decker wrote. What um, Godzilla, nineteen eighty five. Yep, and I, if I remember correctly, it never it never went into production, right? They couldn't get the. Oh no, no, they 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 made that movie Godzilla eighty five. Oh. Um, he wrote the story for it. Huh. And, so, um, he actually is more of a writer than he was a director. He wrote "If Looks Could Kill" with uh, Richard Grieco, uh, Ricochet, that had uh, Denzel Washington. He did some Tales from the Crypt. Okay. Um, yeah. So, had a good little career. Next thing we know, we're we got uh, 
you have Robert and his publisher walking down the street. And again, he brings up the, you know, no one wants to read or read about the, the fucking Vietnam War anymore. You're a horror writer. We we need something else. And it's to the point where you realize that he's kind of down on his luck here because his wife's left him. Have we established that yet? Yeah, that his wife had, yeah, his wife had left him and his kid child. disappeared his child disappeared. And he's so behind on this book, he has to he might have to pay back the advance that the publisher gave him for this book. So I think next thing then he, we, we see him in his apartment and he, where he's writing. I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was hilarious when he opens up the freezer and all there is is banquet uh, frozen <laughs> dinners. I'm like, oh, this is so sad. <laughs> but is it because in 85, it was the thing. I mean, we had we had D-Trace just for TV dinners. <laughs> Right, it was yeah, so, there so were good. only like two different kinds of TV dinners back then too. It was like banquet and hungry man. Right. Oh man, and they were both like awesome. Like I just remember. I'll <laughs> <laughs> have a TV dinner tonight. <laughs> and it's just weird because my kids won't touch anything like that. <laughs> uh, your kids have pretty good taste. <laughs> I don't know. Every once in a while, I'll grab myself one just for nostalgia, but they're not the same. It, it, you know, it doesn't have the different compartments anymore. Anyway, I feel like there's so much preservatives in them now, but back then they would just literally make like a kind of a cheesy meatloaf and then just freeze it. <laughs> and, you know, that's what you got. But now it's, it's like eating chemicals and the, uh, the brownies are like made out of plastic pretty much. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I've eaten MREs, dude. I've eaten worse than that. That's so. true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst stuff out there by far, but. Um, so I, I thought it was funny. He, he throws it in the microwave and didn't uh, even take it out of the package. No, he didn't even open it to vent it. He just tosses it in there and sets it for 30 minutes. But his apartment is the aesthetic. It's very, very 80s. Well, obviously the movie came out in the 80s, but it, it's representative of a bachelor in that time. I mean, you have the ancient computer he's working on with the dot matrix printer set up to the right of it and i don't know about you guys but i think that stereo system he had was sweet yeah i, I mean the computer was too but it even had the the speakers were even built into the shelf i don't know if you noticed that or not but it was the speakers were above his head it was definitely a classic uh, <laughs> well and the thing is is back then like stereos and stereo systems which really I mean, that doesn't really exist anymore, honestly. Um, we have sound systems, but um, it was part of the furniture too. You know, it was just, and it was, I just remember around, I think 85 or 86, um, I asked for a stereo system and it was just freaking amazing. <laughs> it was huge, but it's still, I mean, like, I think I got rid of it in my, 30s when like uh, during the time that we moved it lasted forever anyway that's beside i'm sorry I'm oh no 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 please <laughs> that's awesome <clears throat> so but they don't exist like that anymore so i mean they do it's just you have to piecemeal them together and they're very expensive yeah. Yeah. so of course he starts off you know he the, the farthest he's gotten in his book is the is the title page he hasn't gone any further and out of nowhere, he stops, grabs his phone book, 
and he calls an FBI agent uh, asking for an update on where his son is. And it wasn't Robert Culp. No. And again, another missed opportunity. It should have been Robert Culp. But the, the part that got me was when he says, the, the FBI agent says to him, oh, and by the way, stop calling so-and-so from the CIA. They, they really don't want... First of all, how in the world did he get contact information for a spook in the CIA? I, I find this very implausible. <laughs> well, it was the 80s, and if you were, you know, uh, the, the, the common denominator there was, oh, he was in Vietnam. He was in the military. He knows people in the CIA. Um, I feel like that's 80s movie logic. <laughs> I can see that. So next he goes and he... Uh, Wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. His ex-wife calls and he says, oh, yeah, I got the guys over. We're playing poker. He's standing there alone. He cranks up the stereo to make it sound like, you know, there's people there. And she's at an award ceremony where she lost, but she is happy he's working again. And he even says he was a jerk. He kind of truncates the call and goes from there. So. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what that was trying to establish. Was did was it trying to establish that they still love each other and they shouldn't have split up, or what was this trying to establish? The call between well, him and his wife. What's weird is one of the things I noticed is that she really doesn't have a presence. Um, I, I think that they more wanted to establish her to, for the um, the deadite scene, and that's the best way I can describe it. Is the deadite scene. Um, for her showing up so that we'd recognize her and that why he'd let her in. And um, because that was really the only time that she really did have a presence. I mean, except when George Wentz's character called her. I think that was it, right? He called right. her because yep. he was worried. But she never followed up on that. But all of a sudden we're expecting it. But I think that it, it's to set up the context of what she looks like, their relationship and stuff as of now. Okay. Is that that's yeah, that makes sense. I think it was to establish that, that she's, you know, who she is and, and everything else, but also that they're estranged and also that she had that guy that was like her date or whatever, so that she's kind of moved on. Um, I, I feel like, again, it was just kind of a mechanism of the plot. Um, but she goes, she's, she really doesn't have much going on in the movie. So it, it kind of has her be there. Um and then when when the neighbor uh, calls her later on, which is super weird, by the way. Yeah, how does he? Yeah. He just met him, but he has the ex-wife's number. Yeah, that's just like, oh, ooh. Oh, <laughs> wow. He lifts. He he yeah. steals Roger's book. Yeah, he steals the the phone book. Phone book. Oh, oh. So is super weird. We'll <laughs> <laughs> get to that because I I noticed something in in his apartment that I'm still scratching my head about, but yeah, I was about to say, I, I could talk about Norm, the neighbor for an hour because <laughs> he, he's got plenty of weird things going on. <laughs> so we, we fire uh, next. We have, uh, um, uh, I want to call him Hinkley. That's not right. <laughs> um, um, uh, Cobb, he's, he's sleeping that night and he has a, a nightmare about his son he wakes up and I love he how he opens the the closet door and you throw this old ass suitcase, flips it up, and he's just chucking shit. It's not even landing. He's just chucking whole suits and shit in. And, okay, let's pack. So 
next thing you know, he uh, he's in that beautiful Volvo. Of course, in the 80s, you're successful. You have a Volvo, a Volvo wagon. He uh, pulls up to the house where we meet the uh, real estate agent. Now, the real estate agent, again, another guy I didn't look up, but he pops up in a lot of movies. He's uh, Michael Ensign. He's a... Um not a popular, but he was a character actor in the eighties. He was also the hotel manager in Ghostbusters. That's where I've seen him. Thank you. Like, you know, you know, excuse me, that that's ridiculous. I will not pay that, you know, that amount. Yep. And they're like, Oh, we'll put the ghost right back in there. <laughs> um, he's that guy. He was on a lot of TV shows in the eighties. Um, just as like, you know, the principal or whatever, like he would always play these kind of authority figures or. Yeah. Um, uh, managerial teachers professors that kind of stuff is we we have to talk about his, uh robert cobb's wardrobe here he gets out uh, and he's wearing the blue sweater with the khakis okay with the sh- sleeves pushed pushed up the, the blue sweater i don't mind um, it's the other blue, one the blue sweater is at least a cable knit it's i mean i i've owned sweaters like that not a bad looking sweater the problem I have with his wardrobe in that scene, and he's also wearing these shoes later on when he's wearing the ridiculous sweater. He's <laughs> wearing these these black penny loafers with with like gold um, decorative buckles on them with blue jeans and, and a sweater. And I was like, that is that is a hard choice from that wardrobe designer. <laughs> Because nobody dressed like that back then. <laughs> wow. I just, yeah, I just, those shoes, I was like, whoa, what does he wear? <laughs> and he's got, and granted, I do this with myself, but he's got the, you know, the, the sunglasses pushed up on his head. I, I do that. I, I, I'm so bad. I'll put them up and I'll forget they're there and I'll wear them around all day. Anyways, <laughs> <clears throat> so we go into the house and we establish, you know, uh, how um, the, uh, the the real estate agent wants to, you know, don't worry, we'll sell all this stuff. We can get money for it. You know, we established that he was raised by his aunt when his mother died. So he grew up in this house. So he's got history with it. And as we're walking around, he's like, let's take a look at the root. Uh, what did they, what did they call it? The side house or how did he refer to it? The It's like a bungalow that's attached to the house. It's, it looked to me more like a garage than it did a an actual house, but you're like yeah, a guest I house. That was like a pool house slash garage, and then the the realtor's like, "Oh yeah, you can turn this into a living quarters and rent out the rest of the house." And and I was like, "Really? Like this looks like a shed, man." <laughs> <laughs> right. It's it's not that big. I mean, as we're he's walking around, he goes to the backyard, and we finally get a view of the pool. Now you mentioned we talked about. This pool is unique. It, it, you're right, though. It doesn't seem to match the house. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's <coughs> just way too cool. Um, it's got that like grotto feel to it, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it just really contrasts poorly with the house. But I kind of like that because sometimes I've been to houses before where it's like, okay, this house is all right, and then when you see the pool or something, you know, really awesome in the backyard or like a gazebo or something, you're like. Oh wow, that's cool, but it doesn't really fit with this. <laughs> but, right um, at the time, to the charm, I think. Right, I mean the the house itself, like I said, was built in like the 18, 1870s, I believe, and that is definitely a modern 
80 late 70s 80s style pool you don't oh, see sure. what you don't see anything quite like that but here's where the, the important bit is roger has the, this flashback where he's trimming the hedges and i like the fact they use the same hedge clippers that we see later in the film i noticed that but he's he's trimming the hedges and his kids sitting in the backyard playing with a car and all of a sudden he disappears. And so he's looking for, he's looking for Jimmy, he runs to the front and we see that car peel out, you know, and they did a good job thinking the first time I saw this, well, first time in a long time, Hey, was he kidnapped by the people driving away in the car? Cause it's kind of implied. He asked his wife, have you seen the kid? And he's like, no, I thought he was outside with you. So he's looking for him. And next thing you know, he he's in the pool. So he jumps in the pool and he disappears. And the next thing we know, we see he's I got a towel around him and he's talking to the local police, the detective. And he's like, no, I'm telling you, he was in the pool and he disappeared. The last place I saw him was in the pool. Now, the detective that's interviewing him, you know, was the police officer in the very last scene of the original Friday the 13th. Well, man, we didn't see any boy. It was the, the same guy. I just oh. I, It clicked when I was watching him last night. That's where I've seen him from. Anyhow. <laughs> and, that, and we see the creepy aunt come in. And I don't know, just the facial expressions she makes in this scene are just really creepy. It's like a weird half smile and... Oh hi! <laughs> well, I feel like yeah, she she kind of plays it almost not not funny, but like oh yeah, the house took him. It's no big deal, right? It's- yeah, she's a crazy aunt. I never got like scary from her. That's weird. It's like the absence of scary, and um, that's what I kind of thought from her. You know, and I think it's just because you you, I don't know, maybe through the years of seeing the perfected scary old woman, she was just kind of blah. <laughs> She seemed very kind of even keel for for the most yeah, part. I mean, for the whole like, oh yeah, the like house her too. I'm just like, you know, she's she's kind of being supportive. And <laughs> I feel like they should have played something up more into her, like the reason that she was compelled to hang herself. I yeah, they know. didn't. The only thing that they said is the house tricked me, and it's going to trick you. But why did she kill herself? That doesn't say right. anything. I think they should have replaced the aunt with Dwight Schultz. <laughs> Dwight Schultz <laughs> would have been way better, man. <laughs> how do you trick yourself into hanging yourself? Like, or how do you trick somebody into hanging themselves? Like, like, whoops! I slipped on a banana peel. Now I'm hanging. <laughs> well, well, you guys know my theory. Uh, <laughs> the woman was into some kink. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, tricked her into thinking she wanted to be. Uh, auto erotic, auto erotically asphyxiated. <laughs> I yeah, I just thought she heard George went and and William Cat talking in the restroom before they shot that scene. It was like, I'll show them who's hung. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe her and uh, you know David Carradine were in a you know. Never mind. They were so distance. Say what? They were going for distance. Going for distance. <laughs> So this, of course, this is when the, you know, the mom or his wife at the time, you know, scream, screams at her, you know, you old bag and runs out of the house and 
we're jump back into present day where the real estate guy is talking to him. And I think next they go through the, uh, the, the side house in the next scene, right? Yeah. There, Cause this is when he asked him, uh, you know, about his grandfather. And of course I, it's so cringy. The scene with the harpoon. Yeah. How, how do you not know that fucking thing is not loaded? It's it's got a five inch spike sitting out the front of it. Well, and who accidentally like points that in somebody's direction and then oh whoopsie, sorry, didn't realize. <laughs> it's like, dude, you almost just skewered him, you know. And and cat's reaction to that was really I almost think they shot that in reverse because he doesn't even flinch. I feel like it's just like when it when it goes, it's just like what thunk, and he's just kind of like eh. whatever, whatever. And I feel like the natural reaction to that would be like fuck, yeah, Jesus, you know. Yeah, and as a Vietnam vet that that saw combat, how did he not kill the other guy? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, how did he not lunge at him and like with a knife in his teeth? You know? <laughs> Especially with the fact that he did obviously have trauma when he was, you know, in Vietnam, so. He would have a, you're right, a triggered response. Yep. You know, yeah, that man. was, that, 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 that definitely uh, was a problematic scene for me. I was kind of like, he didn't even like bat an eyelash. It was just kind of like, whoops, zoinks, you almost put one through my eye there, uh, Chet. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe he was wearing the super suit underneath that blue sweater, you know, and he knew he wasn't going to get hurt. Yeah, he was wearing the red jammies. Right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so interestingly is when we get to the painting and I find it, it I look, I, I look this up online. I look up the artist and you can find all the paintings used in the film. And if you look at them, it actually kind of gives a breakdown of the entire movie in painting form. Hmm. The, cause well, that's the, something that I would never um, connect at all. At all. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't, I didn't really examine those paintings, but I could, I mean, just first glance, I was like, okay, those are kind of bonkers. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, art's suggest suggestive, so, you know, who knows? Well, it even goes into one of the, uh, there's a painting that was done that I don't think was ever shown in the film, of the giant marlin, the, the swordfish. Mm -hmm. It has, in the painting, they, have, they show the grandfather skewered by the marlin. And he's just kind of floating. I don't remember seeing it in the film, but it was done for the movie. So if you look at those paintings, it kind of give it paints a picture of the storyline of Grandma. Interesting. It's almost like they're storyboards for the movie. <clears throat> so but that's an interesting. That I feel like that's an interesting bit of backstory, though, that should have been in the film. Like maybe that was something that was cut. Could be. And I didn't see anything on that, but I I think they just wanted I know the director wasn't go he wasn't going for like hardcore scary. He was more going for I, I read an interview with him. He was the overall feel he wanted was surreal. That's why a lot of the monsters you see aren't necessarily frightening. They are more surreal and uh what's the word i'm looking for uh cartoonish is how he described it 
They're like definitely the, cartoony. Right. Like the two. No, I didn't think that they were cartoony, though. I mean, Richard Mole's character and uh, the dead ape um, wife, they were the kind of I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they were scary though. They they were they were disturbing. Gross. Yeah, they know. were gross and disturbing. But they were also exaggerated in some ways too. So I can see, yeah. Well, like the 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 gargoyle witch, whatever she was, the deadite witch. Um, she had that that crazy voice though. That was like, <laughs> I love that. I love that voice. <laughs> so, yeah. So I feel like that that adds to the cartooniness of it. You know, because uh, they would have given her a much scarier voice if that's, I feel like if that's what they were going for. Um, ben, I mean, Big Ben is definitely, I mean, I know we're going to cover him later, but um, he's definitely the the scariest part of that movie. Um, but even even watching that now, like some of the, the makeup on him just doesn't hold up. No, um, you totally see his mouth. Yeah, you can see the mouth underneath moving. So it looks like a guy with you know like a foam rubber suit you know <laughs> like hey i'm a scary zombie guy you know the uh critter in the closet that was kind of creepy i mean that was definitely for that was probably i would consider that a jump scare type um mm -hmm. thing but multiple yeah. faces well, in that's, it. that's the best monster in the movie i think is the, the, I, I, I was rather impressed movie. i took notice of it yeah yeah that, that was, was totally worker you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you brought that up because when I was researching that, that prop was 18 feet long. Oh. It required 15 people to make work. And it they even constructed a working lower bowel system in the puppet. Wow. Wow. For something that you barely see, like mm -hmm. I mean, you get like a, a abstract view of it, but you really don't see it unless you pause it. But did you notice the fingers were bullets? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, and that's like that's like an amalgam monster of his experience in Vietnam. Well, they they referred to it as uh, the war ghoul. Yeah. So, which kind of makes sense, but we're ahead of ourselves here. Where where was oh, yeah. I? Um. <laughs> No, it's cool. off road here. <laughs> Where were we? Um, so he goes through the house. Or he, yes, the he, he sees the, the the last painting he she was working on, and again, if you look at that painting, it, it comes up much later, but it gives foreshadowing in the painting because it shows the closet, and if you look in the lower right hand corner, there's a rope and a chair. So it foreshadows her hanging herself, which I even thought was already, even though it's already half. Oh, in the painting, you mean right in the painting because she okay. was because he even says, Well, he she was working on this when she died. Oh, okay. So interesting. Uh, let's see. Next, we go back into the house and he says, Flat out, I'm not gonna sell. And you can tell he's pissed off because he wants he wants his commission on the sale and he leaves and I the next shot we see is uh let me think here are we introduced to the neighbor next I the think. sexy neighbor in the pool i think that yeah no because he had no that's the hag remember he had to kill the hag oh yep no his wife came yes because after the um it wasn't the instant yet that, um george went did the harpooning because that came later on right 
there was the one um he just told him about the raccoon the crazy raccoon and um he told his wife what and then wait well no because we haven't met george Wendt yet oh we haven't yeah no. the next scene yeah. is where we meet him that's right because he's okay. he's he's wearing that awesome fucking sweater that that deep v-neck <laughs> Oh, is he is he in the deep V uh, sweater yes. at this point? Yeah, remember because he's he's taking out the garbage, and this is where we see George. Uh, he he comes. Nobody nobody has ever worn a V neck like that without something underneath it. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> that that was never designed to be worn with all of your chest hanging out of it. <laughs> I don't know. I probably would have worn something like that back in the day with nothing under it. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, uh, William Cat was in decent shape, but like he's wearing that, he's wearing pleated dress slacks. Yes. And those damn black shoes, those loafers again, and that was it, ugh, just such a such a look. <laughs> right. Such a crazy look. That was totally to show he wasn't wearing the red jammies underneath. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would make sense because it's like, hey, look, look at this giant window into my torso with this sweater. But that doesn't mean he wasn't off to do the. Uh, the greatest American hero, the musical. Oh God! <laughs> so let's so let's back up for a second here. So as he's in the house, he, he does like a quick tour of it. He looks at some of the goes through some of the rooms. It shows his bedroom he had as a kid with the the wagon bed and all the. Is it just me or is that room just creepy? Uh, it was creepy. Yeah. It's it's. And the fact that he sleeps in that bed through this whole movie makes it even worse. Yeah. And but, you know, the fact that he is, like, I mean, seeing creatures everywhere, and he's still, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I don't know. Actually, though, the sleeping in the bed really kind of, in a sense, to me, always made sense, because, like, as a military or a war vet, regression is like a huge thing right to if you think about it like when you're stressed out or you're you're having a rough day what do most vets do a lot of them today collect toys from from when they were children because it's a reminder of better times and there's also the possibility that obviously that i mean they did visit him and his wife and his son so his son may have also slept in that bed yeah, this is true. That, that makes sense. And, and honestly, if I was in a position like that, where it's like I'm in, you know, uh, if I had the chance to lay in the bed that I slept in when I was a kid, I would totally do it. Just well, to, yeah. I mean, you know, just to have that three tactile weeks. connection to it. Less than three weeks ago, I tried to buy the house that my parents owned from '83 to '88 because yeah. it was up for sale. So, so I, I, that actually, that doesn't creep me out as much as, as some of the other stuff in the, in the film, but that actually, believe it or not, actually seemed the most plausible parts of the film. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and that, that, that comfort connection, I think has, has something to do with it too, because he's, he's lost his son, he's divorced or estranged from his wife. He's got PTSD his aunt just died. So, I mean, he's got a lot psychologically going on. So any kind of connection to normalcy, I think he would jump at. Sure. Yep. So that makes a lot of sense. I'm actually getting out of order here. So 
Let me back <laughs> up for a second. Sorry. Uh, so it again, it, it shows you at the end of the first night, he goes into the bathroom to brush his teeth. Now, I'm I'm weird about this type of stuff, especially in a movie like this. When he opens the cabinet, I love seeing the old products in the cabinet. There, I saw there was an old Rolaids bottle, Formula Forty Four. Yep, there's a Vix Forty Four uh, bottle in there. Uh, what, there was some Securachrome and some Methylade. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, a box of Comtrex in there. And I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen anyone who brushes their teeth like this. He takes the toothpaste and puts it in his mouth and then starts brushing his teeth. As any, I, I, I know people that have done that. Uh, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, I feel like everybody, I, I feel like 95% of the people in the world put it on the toothbrush and then put it in their mouth. But I would agree. Yeah, and here's where we also establish that he's taking Valium. Um, although at this point he he goes to take one, but he doesn't. He puts the bottle back, and then it's when he goes in and goes back to sleep. Next, when we get him taking out the garbage in the V-neck. Oh, that V-neck! <laughs> oh. It's and, not just the plunging V of that V-neck; it's the 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 border on the V. On the on the V cut, it's like four inches wide on each side. I mean, it almost looks like a like a, a throw rug or something. Like it's, <laughs> it's just it's such a beefy sweater, too. And I mean they're in California, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. I right. just I don't know, man. <laughs> in fact, they, they established they're in Marin County in California. Okay. So <clears throat> I don't know. I had Whoever was the wardrobe designer was on that movie, I, I feel like gets an F minus. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no. wasn't I mean okay? So, God, I bring this up. Um, but um, when you think about it, like '85, the V-neck and the sweaters. It. I also flash back to um, uh, the Cosby Show. Heathcliff Huxtable. Yep. <laughs> like he, like yeah. they raided his closet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, sweaters sweaters were definitely a thing. I mean, and and um, I feel like people kind of forced sweaters back then too. Um, but I feel like that isn't an intrinsically '80s sweater. It's very, you know, it's a like tan. You know, there's no like neon, you know, lightning bolts on it or anything. Um, it doesn't. It's not a Huxtable type sweater where it's like the the geometric patterns, patterns. and. Mm-hmm. The, Part of me wondered if it was his wife's. <laughs> you know, if he's sleeping in his in his childhood bed, maybe he's you know found some of her old clothes and is like, oh god rolling around in them and shit. I want to be close to her. I'm going to wear her sweater that she normally wears a turtleneck underneath too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least wore a shirt under it. I guess I don't know. I don't remember seeing any uh, chest bush going on. <laughs> chest bush. <laughs> If he had like a, a white t-shirt on under that sweater, I feel like we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have stuck out that far. In fact, I, I took a screenshot of that and I sent it to my girlfriend and she just went, no, absolutely not. No. <laughs> she thought you wanted to buy one. <laughs> now we know what we're getting. Christmas. Don't tempt me. 
<laughs> now, something I, I did notice when er, he goes out, and this is where we meet George Wayne, because, you know, the, the dog knocked over the trash cans. And he plays the perfect annoying neighbor. He's not exactly Norm from Cheers, but you get that Norm vibe. He's got that, that Norm awkwardness where he's kind of unsure of himself. Right. Yeah. And I, I thought it weird where he, uh, the first thing he, he talks about is, oh, uh, the lady that lived here was fucking crazy. Oh, she was my aunt. Oh, she had a heart of gold. She <laughs> <laughs> and when he realizes that he's a famous author, out of nowhere, he just happens to have pages of his book in his back pocket. Let's 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 focus on that for a second. He doesn't okay. have the book in his pocket. He has pages that are torn out and like crammed into his pocket. <laughs> what what kind of choice was that? Like what what does that symbolize? I think he was a public shitter. <laughs> I think he was using them for toilet paper in people's backyards. <clears throat> oh man. That I mean I would wow. be like that, okay, that, that, that is wow. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that makes more sense than just having pages of a book crammed in your pockets. That's, that's some character development right there. Yep. At least then they would serve a purpose. Like, has anybody ever known anybody that has torn or cut pages out of a book and kept them in their pocket? No, not unless they needed emergency toilet paper. Exactly. Or kindling, you know, like what, why would anybody do that? And then, then he pulls it out and is like, Oh, Hey, can you sign this for me? Like, like he wouldn't, like anybody in the world wouldn't think that was weird. If he produced a book and was like, hey, can you sign this? Oh, yeah, sure. You got a pen? Oh, I don't. Oh, okay, fine. Well, no, here's some random pages from one of your books that I keep in my, I keep on my person. Like, who would do that? <laughs> or even worse, it, when he, before he even pulls out the book, he's like, hey, why don't you invite the, the, the wife and kids over and I'll cook dinner. I just met you three seconds ago. I'm going to invite you into the house and hey, make you it, was dinner. A, it was a friendlier time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no well, kids. Okay. Let's grab burgers and we watch the A's game. You're an A's fan, right? Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, I feel like that's even not the creepiest thing he's done in this movie yet. We haven't even got to it yet. Oh, right. We'll get there. But, but yeah, we're almost, I'd, I'd say it's and, like 1A and 1B, but um yeah, as long as we're talking about wardrobe, though, really quick, I do want to bring up, um, you see him in these V-necks, you know, the typical 80s stuff, but as of maybe this slightly, like, I think maybe when his, was it when his, the deadite wife came, or just the, at that pivotal moment, his wardrobe changes. He goes back to his um, army fatigue type stuff. Yes. I was going to bring that up. Now, my question is, Okay, we see him packing. Where the fuck did he get it? Where'd he get the flak vest? Right. Where'd he get the helmet? It's not I, like, you know, it, it. we we didn't see him pack it. And well, I mean, we, we have to assume that he did some packing off, off screen. Or <laughs> that also raises the question, though, why does he carry a helmet and goggles and a flak jacket? Unless right. he picked all that crap up whenever he got the video equipment. I, I, that crossed my mind. The other plausible thing was maybe he lived there when he got out of the service before he got married. Or maybe he was storing Stuff. it in his aunt's, yeah. Yeah, some of his, like his sea bag was already there. 
But then I don't, you know, call me crazy, but I, I don't think I was allowed to bring home a flak vest or, or even any of the armor that I actually wore. You're not. We have to turn all that yeah. shit back in. I had to turn and, it in. I mean, you were allowed to... to keep your personal uniforms, but but yeah, any body armor and stuff and your helmet, you had to turn back in. And if it was damaged, you had to pay for it. Yeah. That might have been um, I, I don't know this for sure. That might have been a different thing back then because I know a kid I grew up with um, when we were in third grade, I was at a sleepover and uh, they had this big trunk. It was like a like a steamer chest or whatever. And he opened it up and he was like, you want to see something cool? And he opened it up and his dad's uh, M16 from Vietnam was in there and a bunch of his not not necessarily weapons other than the M16, but um, and it was a non era M16, too. It was a, a first gen and there was like other I want to say like his uniform or something was in there. Um, but I know there was Vietnam ephemera, uh, in there at that point. So I don't know if maybe they, back then they were allowed to bring like something or I, I don't know. Well, not only that though, you have to realize too, you guys going back to the time that that current political, the cold war was very active. We just got done with the Vietnam war though. Our, we were, we were actively, um, I mean, how many people, I don't know if you guys remember, you know, cause I know. Like with my father, you know, we had um, in the basement, um, you know, like survivalist stuff. And um, so those things would probably be more accessible, you know, like with army surpluses and the Cold War and coming from the, the 60s and 70s. Now we're in the 80s. Um, a new threat, you know. And, and I feel like back then you could go to an army surplus store and just buy that stuff. Well, you still mm -hmm. can. Yeah, you still yeah. can. You live here. At least here in the Midwest, you still can. <laughs> so yeah. I meant literally in Fort Wayne. I mean, well, I took you there, Dean. Yep. It, it, I think I think the most plausible thing is when he bought all the Betamax cameras and and everything else, he picked up that stuff. Yeah, we'll get. Yeah, he was preparing for war. Yeah, we'll, you know, yeah. We'll get there, but now something I just I happen to notice after he's done talking to. Uh, George went, he, he goes inside and he shuts the front door. Did you notice the sheer amount of locks? There are six locks on this door, plus two chains and a deadbolt. Well, yeah, that old lady didn't want to get raped. <laughs> Damn, but uh, wow. I did, just the sheer amount of locks on the door just kind of surprised me. I'm like, holy shit. California. <laughs> and so next time we see him, he's still in that awesome V-neck and he's starting to write his book. Now, I don't know about, granted, I get that it's centralized to the plot, but I found that the Vietnam flashback scenes were jarring. Yeah. They weren't. Yeah, those, I, those were I, really poor. <laughs> not just that, just I wasn't expecting them. And then it, it kind of pulls you out of the movie. It, it, it goes from being this creepy haunted house movie to a war movie. Well, I mean, you obviously know movie. it's a, a flashback, but the, the quality of them, I mean, you know, it doesn't even feel like you're immersed in the jungle. It feels like a soundstage where someone's putting on a play about Vietnam. Yeah, they right. totally phoned that in. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, you know, and they're all clean and, and just the lighting of it. It was, it was very poorly shot. Um, it, it just, 
it wasn't immersive whatsoever. And that was the jarring part of it for me was like, oh, okay, wow. So they, that this, at first, I, I was almost like, wait a minute, is this happening in the house? Like, did he walk into a room and I, I wasn't paying attention and now he's in Vietnam? Because that's what it felt like was like he was in some kind of like pocket dimension. Right. You know, from his memory, but it, it yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly, when I was reading, they, uh, uh, like I said, they they painstakingly redid the second floor of this house on a sound a soundstage. Yep. Right next to that were the sets for the Vietnam scenes, and they were put together in two weeks. They had to throw them together really quickly for whatever reason. That I, explains it. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thinking that I I wonder if maybe the script changed and they had to include these scenes. I don't know. But yeah, I, I feel like there, there's definitely um, probably a production choice for some reason, but it definitely looked hastily put together. Um, I mean, even if them filming, if they were in California, I've seen Vietnam movies that were shot in the hills outside LA. I mean, there's, there was, I feel like there was better ways to, to, to shoot it real time, like on real terrain as opposed to, you know, having a smoke machine and, and a couple of palms. You know? Well, you um, think, well, you said this is, this was shot in a $3 million budget. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet a lot of the budget went toward the effects work. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. <clears throat> I guess cut corners where you can. So um, here's where we get to, uh, he's, he's, writing he stops and he the fish the eye is watching him as he's walking around and he goes up to his his aunt's bedroom and he goes to open the door he's like this is crazy why am i doing this goes he brushes his teeth comes back and this is where we see the as soon as the clock strikes midnight important point here the war demon or war ghoul comes out of the damn closet and tries to climb and the next morning is where we get the truck pulling up with all this Betamax equipment and camera equipment. Do you realize the sheer amount of money he must have spent on this oh, yeah. equipment? Because that was four thousand dollars worth of stuff at least in 1985. Oh, oh, if not more. I mean, some of those uh, he had some high end Nikon cameras, and those were a couple grand a piece back then. In even those the the Betamax camcorders were you know two three thousand dollars a pop. He's got a what at least fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment sitting there. Yeah, well, yeah that, it, was, that was silly too. <laughs> as a writer, what kind of how much money is he making? I mean, does he still getting residuals from his wife, or how does he have this kind of cash to? Oh, I'm just going to order a ton of beta or of equipment. <laughs> Well, they might have given him that big advance on his next book, you know. So next, and here's where you were bringing this up, Maria. He changes up his his clothing, and again, he's in fatigues. He's ready for combat. He's got the rope tied and pulls it open. Nothing. And he and I I love the reaction shot when he opens it up and he's kind of standing there thinking to himself, "Am I crazy?" Like, did it really happen? It, you know, he doesn't say it, say this, but you can see it in his face when he opens that door and there's nothing there. 
So he goes back down downstairs. He's grabbing a beer, and all of a sudden the clock goes off, and then it hits him midnight. So I'm um, getting this. He runs back upstairs. Well, he does the dry run where he, yep. he pulls the door open and then he runs down and does the monkey flips uh, down yep. the stairs and then, you know, slides out the front door and kind of, yay! Um, still not totally sure. I mean, I know I get doing the dry run, but I'm not sure what all the acrobatics were for. <laughs> well, and the other thing I had, I had read that, of course, he runs outside and slides down the, the front walkway and there's George went with his dog. Hi, Roger. Um, I'm writing. First of all, <laughs> who in the hell is going to... He's not wearing knee pads. No. Who is going to slide on concrete? Do you know how bad that would hurt? And when he stands up, his knees aren't all jacked up. Right. Like, yeah, that should have torn the hell out of his pants. <laughs> and I know for the the, the film, the, the there was no walkway there. And the production crew made it out of wood and painted it to look like concrete. And it eventually, before filming ended, they actually did replace it with a real concrete walkway. But could you imagine sliding? Yeah, you're right, Art. They would have tore up his knees like you don't understand. And so he goes back in, and this is where we get the, it's midnight, pop it open. Uh, wait a minute, or am I getting ahead of myself? Well, he's he's back upstairs, and then he's he's getting ready to open the door, and then that's when Norm shows up. Yes, with the food. And he's got a tray of of you know Miller High Life's and Chinese food, and he's all ah, and he scares him, yep, and he's yep, like, yep. "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Oh, I thought I brought you a midnight snack." <laughs> yeah, let's let's have a full meal with beer at, at you know midnight as a snack. At midnight. And, Why the and not fuck only not? did he just walk into his house, but he walked upstairs. Obviously checked each room until he found him. Right. Didn't like, knock and didn't ring the doorbell. Who would do this? And no. No, no, no stalker, uh, <laughs> anything like that. No, no uh, creepiness there. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and, and this doesn't get the benefit of saying, oh, it was the 80s. It was 1985. People did that. Nobody's ever done that. <laughs> and, even, and even worse, I mean, we've established he has a metric shit ton of locks on the door. Why doesn't yeah. he lock the door? Yeah. Well, on top of that, who walks in on a combat vet with PTSD like that? Right, <laughs> expecting to not get shot in the fucking face. Do you want to get shot, Norm? Because this yeah. is how you get you shot. Get shot. <laughs> if one of my neighbors did that, yeah, that's for my first instinct. Put two forty-five rounds, and then after that, empty a twelve gauge into them. <laughs> and what are the cameras for? Oh, I'll explain when I'm get, when I'm downstairs. So they're they're eating at the kitchen. It's a kitchen, right? Yeah, they're eating in the kitchen. He was going to do the Buffalo Bill dance in the sweater in front of them cameras. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Get that image out of your head, Dean. I feel uh, like that would have been the best use for that sweater. <laughs> yeah, but was he doing the tuck? Did he, he tuck? Just, like, he could have oh, yeah, just he was a little tucked. bit, and it would have fallen off his shoulders. <laughs> uh, kind of a cross between the Buffalo Bill dance and flash dance with it hanging off the shoulder, you know? <laughs> Uh, with that curly hair, anyways. <clears throat> so he's they're they're talking in the kitchen, and he goes, "You, know, what's up with the cameras?" He's like, "Do you believe in ghosts?" Well, no. Let me back up for a second. Well, I, I love the part when George Wentz says, "Well, 
well, let's see, you know, your, your wife left you, your kid's missing, uh, you're not working, but yeah, you're okay. You're not crazy. You got a couple marbles rolling around, but yeah, you're fine. You're fine. And, oh, you're in Vietnam. Yeah, you're fine. So, and that's when he asked him, do you believe in, did you, do you believe in ghosts? And they have this long contrived conversation about whether ghosts are real or not. And, you know, he establishes that my aunt thought the house was haunted. And then he, well, if that's what the cameras are for, I need to get pictures of this. And I, I, I like how he, he doesn't believe him. He's like, yeah, well, if you ever get pictures of this, let me know. And as he's walking out. So I feel like he's trying to be a, a good friend and a good neighbor, but he's also trying to, I mean, he's a fan. He's obviously a, a super fan of Roger Cobb. So he's, he's kind he's trying to align himself with his favorite writer. Hmm. So he's trying to put himself in a position to be like a, you know, a person of support. So he's not telling him, yeah, you're nuts or whatever. He's just, oh, yeah, you're fine, man. People think stuff. They see things. You know, it's all good. <laughs> um, well, it, and I, I forgot about that because he even says, he's like, are you sure you didn't imagine this? Because this is sounding like one of your books. Yeah, you sure you haven't just been reading your books and your imagination's running wild? Yeah, he's, he's trying to give him every out to, to you know, Come back to reality, I guess. But that didn't mm. stop him from pocketing his phone book. Yes, I was just about to get there. <laughs> so. Yep, the third creepiest thing he's done. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's not like it's a small pocket book either. This is a good size book that he grabs off that table at the at the bottom of the stairs. How do you not notice your phone book's missing, especially one that big? Yeah. <sighs> That's, that's an odd one. No, I, I mean, I just wonder who else he called out of that book. <laughs> hey, is this honest, though, that's not... uh, Hi, this is Norm. I'm uh, I'm Roger Cobb's neighbor now. We're basically best friends. What's up with you? <laughs> but you know what, though? That's not unexpected, though, with William Cat, because that's not the only book he lost. He lost the instruction manual for the Red Jammies. Right. Not once, but twice. Right. Yep. So <laughs> that guy doesn't have the best history with books. Norton. He's a habitual book loser. <laughs> and yeah. also, and he's an a he's habitual kid loser too. He loses two of them in this movie. Yeah, he's. Oh not no, I don't. Player. I wouldn't say that he lost the the second one. I mean, he did his best to. Uh, or, I don't know. Anyway, we'll get to that point. We're going ahead. Yeah, we'll Go. get there, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, the kid with the ears. <laughs> yes. So uh, okay. Oh, so so you're right. Should we get? Um, Norm, Norm. Uh, anyway, Norm goes home and he starts calling his ex-wife. He's going through the book, and, which okay. And one hand, I can see it. It's how it's he's concerned, but you're right. It's creepy as fuck that he just out of nowhere. Hi, uh, you don't know me. I live next door to your ex-husband, but uh, hi, how are you? And yeah. hi, famous actress that you don't know me, but I'm just going to call you about your ex-husband because I'm a creepo neighbor, like. The thing is, is did she, she didn't do anything, did she? She, I mean, just besides the deadite showing up, the, the wife, in fact, didn't really respond. I think she yeah, called she him. Like, I, I have to be up early. I can't come. So she was kind of huh? like, you're on your own deal with it. Yeah. 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 Well, she tries calling him, but he doesn't answer the phone. But something I noticed when, when they're in this, conver in this uh, conversation, I didn't, I should have, my, my girlfriend picked up on this while we were watching this last night. When she gives him 
her daytime number. She gives a number of 9541473. I thought almost every movie used 555 as its pre, uh, uh, pretext because it's a fake number. She gives out a real phone number. Yeah, that, I, that, that happens sometimes. I've seen that in a couple movies. Um, I feel like it's still usually a dead number, but um, yeah, I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to that. I just, it's just something that stuck out that uh, she pointed out to me. So the fish is where we get to the fish. Uh, sorry, I'm going through my notes here. Um, anyway, okay. Let me get back to Norm sitting in, in his apartment. Okay, if you're looking at the, the coffee table in front of him, you know, he's got the phone and some paperwork. What in the, the hell? Phone, by the way, the pink rotary phone. Yes, yes. What in the hell was that sitting to the left on the table? It looked like a giant oscilloscope. They never show the front of it, but it's huge. Did he catch that? Yeah. yeah I, I thought that was his TV. Was that a I thought they intended that to like be his TV. Wow. I could I could see it, it it what like a small like an early portable style TV? Yeah. Because it didn't have an antenna or anything on it. It didn't have an aerial. It, it looked like an oscilloscope from the back. Hmm. I, I didn't I, catch it. I, I didn't notice that they kind of tried to make his entire house fit into the corner of an apartment. Yes. Um, you know, because it's like, oh, yeah, here's his couch wedged into the corner. And here's a desk right by the, the couch. And then here's a chair. And then here's a, it was like, here's his entire life in this corner. In, in the hallway isn't that large because later on when he's you know taking him back in to lay him down on the couch, they can barely fit through the the hallway going into the living room. Yeah. So, side by side. Next we go back to Robert's writing again. Is he not or is this the fish? Uh, sorry, my notes are out of order here. Uh, yes, this is where we start seeing the fish. Um, it starts moving, remember? It starts flopping around on the... So he starts beating it with a trophy, which I thought was funny. I mean, stop moving, stop moving. He goes back out into the, the garage area. and he, First, he pulls a handgun, but he can't find any rounds for it. And then he pulls a 12-gauge, or double-barrel 12-gauge, finds some rounds for it, goes up and blows a big-ass hole through the fish, where it stops, and I love the scream. Well, well, here's my question too. He he went out and bought all that camera equipment so that he could catch the Vietnam monster on film, right? Why didn't he just instead of shooting the fish? Why didn't he just go grab his camera and be like, "Oh, okay, here's the proof I need that I'm not crazy and that you know I can show to somebody or whatever." I've got a, a, a marlin on the wall that's you know, coming to life. Like, that's point. kind of a missed opportunity. Right? I, ne I never thought of that. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> oh, look, a dancing Marlin. Uh, but no, no, I, I shot it because it was moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah he totally could have inserted Bruce Campbell in there. <laughs> well, that's where I feel like it really skates the evil dead line. Um, that's kind of the first moment that it felt like that with, with the fish on the wall. Yeah. Like that scene in the cabin in the second movie where where everything's laughing at him. Yep. That's, yeah, totally Evil Dead. Got that same manic energy. Oh, and something else I noticed. 
no one on the block heard a double barrel going off in the middle of the night while he blew a hole through this fish. Yeah. But earlier, the cops were called, or no, that's later. Comes later. That's that's later. But people were listening then. Anyway, he runs downstairs, and his wife comes in the door. She's I think she's there. She didn't. Uh, she she didn't knock. She's just standing there in the foyer, right? His right. wife in the purple dress, and she's like, "I was concerned about you." Blah blah blah. She ducks down, and fi- we finally get to see the hag. This creepy looking witch thing who throws him down on the on the stairs they get here and he blasts it with the shotgun right and again it blows her out the front door now i thought it was nighttime i thought that we had established that it was at night but now when he shoots her and she goes through the door it's in the middle of the day Am I wrong here? Or... Mm, it was the definitely the... were kind of weird in that movie, though. That's the thing. It's it, it really you do easily kind of get confused because you know you have the whole midnight thing, you know, and um, then all the visitors at all hours. Right. And again, when they when they do the establishment shot when he first gets there, there's other people on the street. There's houses to his left. If you're standing in front, there's several houses. In fact, one is a nice red Fiero parked in the uh, driveway that I noticed. Um, <laughs> there's a couple houses next door. So there's people on the street. No one notices a body being blown through the front door and landing on the steps of the, of the house That's in the middle of the day. a terribly distorted one like that. Right. <laughs> and yeah. he, he takes a couple minutes, you know, he, he realizes he's stunned at what he's done. He's killed his wife. You know, he's kind of, you know, coddling her and whatnot you know, for several minutes before he picks her up and takes her inside. No one notices this. Yes. On the front porch and a famous actress. Right. No one notices he blows a hole through her with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Famous actress and a famous writer that has enough yeah. fans to, to wait in a line for him and geek out at the mall um, or wherever he was signing. So there would be some kind of somebody would know that they were both there right other than the neighbor and yeah that's it's it's definitely weird and and the uh the blonde uh the hot chick neighbor yes. too I, I forgot to mention her we we see her running earlier yeah well has she already come over to the pool yet or no uh no, no. Not, oh, yet. not yet comes after that yeah that's after the after he kills the hag you know <laughs> mm-hmm. yes and then hacks her up well, and that's the thing that. is he, he has her, like, she's in the pool, and then she shows up again, God knows what time, with her son, and it's just like, babysit him. Like, right. oh, yeah. that, that's insane. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get there, because I'm like, who in the fuck does this? I just met you earlier today. But yeah, you I'd look like, like to a drop my son off for you to fucking babysit. Not only that, but make sure he gets a bath. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Give him a bath. <laughs> Stranger. Now, I, my guess is... I, See my child naked. <laughs> now, I, I, my question is, when she dropped... You know, she was all dolled up when she drew, when she drew, dropped the kid off. I'm guessing she's going out for, like, a quickie and comes back. Is, is, this, is this the thing, or...? Well, she doesn't even... Does she say I have a date or something? No, she just said she was going out. Yeah. Right. 
So, I mean, yeah, that wasn't enough time for a date, I don't believe. So she probably just had a fucking DA, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go get get hammed out real quick. I'll be back. <laughs> so I, we'll, we'll get there, but hold up. So I, I love the scene where he, with the hag, and he's in the room, and she how he doesn't notice her in the in the room i'll never know but he, she clocks him upside the head with the with the butt which should have knocked him out I mean, that's a nice mahogany fucking shotgun that should have anyways she puts the gun to his head in that voice that we talked about it that high pitched <laughs> yes that, <laughs> they say your prayer and click and something we forgot to establish here that he was being chased through the house by lawn tools oh yeah we forgot to mention that one yeah i, I, I forgot to mention that he, he's being chased through the house with lawn tools and another and, evil dead connection i feel yep yeah and he opens the door and they fly out and they kill the hag and i love the head when it comes off and just plop <laughs> It doesn't even look like a real head. It's like half of a head. And <laughs> the music choice when he's bagging up the head and the body is awesome. That the 60s, what I, you know, I don't think I wrote down the name of the song. Was it dedicated to the one I love? Yes. It's, <laughs> if, if, if there is that, is, is that the song? I think it was. Or is that? No, the, it's You're No Good. Yes. Yeah. That's it. And then you're later, no good, you're yep, no yep. Good, you're no good. And if that isn't establishing the end of their marriage, I don't know what does because. <laughs> well, even, even before that, what's really weird is you wonder what was going through his head because when he's on the, on the porch or on the patio with her and he's cradling her, then he picks her up and then sticks her in that hall closet. Like what, what was going through his head? Like he just didn't want to get caught with her because he, he can hear the sirens Mm-hmm. That would I be mean, my that would be my guess. He wants to hide the body quick. Yeah, because Norm called the cops over yep. shotgun blasts that time. And he leaves the gun on the porch and he's just gonna casually sit there. Oh, I'm just polishing it. No cop is gonna believe that shit. Yeah, sorry, just cleaning my gun. It you know, oh that 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 must be what they heard. Is it accidentally went off? <laughs> And something I noticed here. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Okay. The... Well, I, I do. I do want to touch on that oh, for a second. Um, please. There, I, I feel like, and and I don't want to derail the whole conversation, but no. I feel like I enjoy this movie, but I feel like there is a much more interesting movie buried inside of it. I feel like, you know, how in Fight Club how, how uh, Brad Pitt is a character through the whole movie and then you realize at the end that he was never there, that he's uh, another part of Edward Norton's psyche. Right. And another personality. I feel like this whole movie, instead of playing it straight with actual monsters and, and, and ghosts or whatever and all these things, it, it could have very, very much walked a line where is he actually seeing these things or is this all a hallucination brought on by the fact that his son is missing slash dead, his divorce, the PTSD from Nam, everything that this guy is going through, his writer's block, 
could it be like a shining situation where he's just kind of cracking up? And if you I'm look gonna at say it, no, I'm going to say no, because if it's one thing this movie does do is it validates um, the other like, like the occurrences that people are, you know, kind of like George's Wentz character and is, is seeing it or suspecting something. Um, the um, just you know, the fact that people are hearing this, it just, it, I think it goes out of its ways to establish that this is real, honestly. Oh, right, right, right. I, I agree. It, it, they play it straight and they, they yeah. don't, I'm not saying that it is this, I'm saying it could have been this movie and it would have been a more interesting movie had they, had they made it where it was open to interpretation. Kind of like when you watch the movie uh, Total Recall, there's two ways to view that movie. You can either watch it that it's happening right. linear and what you're seeing is actually the story or, or this is all in his head. This is what he paid for. Mm-hmm. And this is his fantasy that he went to that place to get. So it's, it, as I'm watching it, I'm like, this would have been gr-, like, cause it's when he kills the hag, I mean, it's his ex-wife. So whether he loves her or not, that's his ex-wife. So it's like the hag could have been a manifestation of how he felt about her as opposed to, and going back and forth where it's like, Oh no, I killed the good version of her but it really wasn't her. Oh no, it, it's the hag. Oh, okay. So it's, it's fine. Totally fine. Then, you know, like just processing that grief of a breakup. I feel like there was a lot of layers that they really could have. Like I said, I feel like there's a better movie had they had more budget or had they had more ambition with it or whatever that could have, that this story could have um, wrapped itself around. Um, but instead, I mean, it's, you know, and it's fine. It is what it is. Um, it's an enjoyable movie, but as I'm watching it, I, I, I kept, that's the notes I kept making was there's a way better movie here. Psycho, it's like almost like a psychological experiment um, or an uh, observation of someone going through just extreme grief and having this, this kind of nightmarish solitude. That's interesting. Uh, that's, yeah, it's an that's interesting it, observation. It was the biggest thing I took away from this movie and, you know, but again, it's enjoyable for what it is. Um, but I, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, even his, his grief over his, you know, maybe his best friend, Big Ben, I don't know, is his buddy in Vietnam, um, you know, losing him or not making that decision to kill him. You know, that's the kind of thing that would stick with him and, and really screw him up. Right. Um, yeah. And I feel like all of that would just kind of go into this grief soup that this poor guy's had to deal with. But you know what they never did kind of um, bring up is why the house, is it, was it, was it, was it the vengeful spirit or is it something about the house itself? I think think that's implied. I think it's the, the house is almost like a portal or a conduit, but it kind of feeds off of, like his grief and his experiences. So the house knows that he was in Vietnam. So that's why that the Vietnam ghoul comes out of the closet. Right. And it well, knows about his ex-wife. It knows about the kid, about well, his son. So maybe that's why the two little weirdo uh, potato kids steal the other one. <laughs> well, well, the the aunt even says when he has that hallucination with her, says this house knows everything about you. Yeah. So well, even the fish, if the fish in that painting, if the fish or, or whatever uh, killed his, his grandfather, mm-hmm. that would inform that, that Marlin coming to life and kind of being like a specter or whatever. 
what makes sense because he, he starts going back to when he's talking to the real estate agent, he starts to say what happened to his grandfather and then is interrupted by the, uh, the harpoon gun. So I'm in based on the picture, I'm assuming he was killed by a fish. Yeah. So, but so that house was basically the mood slime manifested from ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like that. The house is almost like a psychic, um, conduit not, not yeah like a con i was gonna say vampire but it's like a like it's feeding off of the fears and, and guilt and and memories and everything else yeah I, I i feel like that's why the movie's called house that's why it's the house is kind of the villain in the movie well going back to just an observation i made going back to the scene on the porch when he's cleaning the gun the two police officers that get out <laughs> the first guy he was in 21 Jump Street, and he was also, uh, he was uh, Mulder's first contact in, was his Deep first Throat. or second con contact yeah. in, no, his second contact in the X-Files. He's Deep Throat in the X-Files, yeah. Yep. And the second cop was in the series In the Heat of the Night. Yeah, that's Alan Autry. Yep, uh, I had to, I, as I was watching it, I, I'm like, I know this guy's voice. I know who this is. Who is this guy? And I had to end up looking him up, but and I, I love how the the, the, the black guy uh, Stephen Williams he was in Twenty One Jump Street, he was in uh, Missing in Action Two, yep, he was in Friday the Thirteenth uh, Part, yep, he was uh, six, I believe. Jason goes uh, to hell. <laughs> well, yeah, that one, and um, yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. A uh, really good actor. And I just thought it was weird where. You think he's going to ask him for an autograph, but can I use your bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to use your bathroom. And the whole them, you know, them all sitting. And of course, George went just invites himself in again. Yeah, coffee would be great. Well, so, yeah, I love, I love when, uh, when the cops looking at the paintings and, and Roger's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, oh, "I'm looking at this stupid shit on the wall," you know, like. <laughs> Like, what kind of cops are these? And when he asks them if they want coffee and, and they're like about to leave and they're like, yeah, we'll take some coffee. <laughs> it's like, you got any donuts too? He's going to be like, yeah, you know, we're, we're working, but yeah, let's, let's have some fucking coffee. <laughs> let's hang out with this dude for a little bit. Right. And uh, <laughs> the whole thing with the, uh, the shotgun shells on the floor when he, you know, picks up the spoon. Oh, and to his credit, you know, Norm tries to help him out. You know, he, he sees it. He tries to cover for him. Oh, no, I'll take those. Uh, yeah. well, I thought you said it wasn't loaded. Well, you know, who doesn't have a gun and isn't loaded every once in a while? And I love his response. Well, I wouldn't recommend you cleaning a loaded gun, but that's okay. We'll we'll, we'll see ourselves out. Yeah, that's fine. We're going to go grab some donuts now, you know. <laughs> uh, so let's see here. Um, okay, that and we, we established the hag and he kills her. And I love when he's he's moving the hag, the bulk of her. He's all wrapped up. It's like a Dexter moment. She's all wrapped up in fucking plastic. And so they show him burying the head. And then he goes back and he starts dragging the the body down to, to bury the, the bulk of it in the backyard. And we there's the neighbor swimming in the pool. So what? She didn't notice him burying the fucking head five minutes before? No, of course not. 
She was too busy being sexy. <laughs> I get <laughs> And when you're that sexy, you're just, you know, blind to the, the goings on of the universe. I guess so. <laughs> and and I, he had that thing tied up really well. I have a hard time believing that that hand would have gotten out. <laughs> let's, he's, he's trying to hit on her, when he's, but he's stepping on this nasty looking fucking hand on the ground. And I talk about uncomfortable when it goes to touch her foot and he steps on it and you just see he grabs her shoulder and he pulls her in to talk to her. That isn't creepy. No way. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to pull you in and hi, how you doing? So, <coughs> And two, that was like a really creepy ghoul. Yeah. And, and not only that, so how clean was that ghoul that she couldn't smell the dead corpse? Oh, right. Yeah, she brought that, that bag probably smelled like a turtle tank, and she's just all like, whatever. Doobly doo, I'm gonna hit on you some more. <laughs> but he doesn't you notice he like doesn't even question like she might be a ghoul. You no, know, he's just like, oh hey. <laughs> yeah exactly it's like hey sexy you're evil at all <laughs> yeah yeah he's burying the body of a ghoul that that totally shocked him by by presenting itself initially as his ex-wife how did he not think that that was what what was coming out of his pool right in mm-hmm. <laughs> the pool where his son disappeared I, but you know a guy that has ptsd who's already you know easily triggered how did her being there at all not flip him the fuck out right and the power of beautiful women and dumb men (laughs) and who in the fuck just oh yeah your aunt was cool with this i'll just go swimming really okay i mean because the the guy even said earlier we had to clean the pool we cleaned the pool up so in the time period between when the aunt died and now was she, I'm assuming the pool was like gunky. So she just now decided, Oh, it's clean again. I'll just go for a swim. That's a good point. I didn't catch that, but yeah, he totally says we had to clean the pool up. So that, that could have been a great, you know, I I felt like her and Norm both had this kind of subterfuge where they could have been evil or they could have been monsters or whatever. Right. And they kind of sandbag you a little bit where it's like, because some of the creepy things that, that Norm does could have, he could have just all of a sudden been like, like I'm a monster now. And she could have done the same thing. So her saying that easily could have been like a, like, wait a minute. Hmm. Didn't the realtor said they had to clean the pool? Uh Oh, she's a monster. Like, I feel like, like there were a lot of breadcrumb trails let off that didn't really go anywhere. Um, unfortunately, but and then we get to one of my favorite scenes in the movie after she leaves he grabs the axe and you see all these little holes through the whole fucking backyard with pieces of this thing and the look on his it's right it's what what's what be it's what's behind you art that whole yeah. look on his face <laughs> I'm gonna have to cut her up into pieces and bury her in the backyard because yeah no one will think to look at these you know <laughs> nonchalant little holes of dirt in the backyard and so he cuts her up buries her gets back upstairs 
and he, I, if I'm thinking right, he he goes to go goes to lay down right, and the look on his face in the bathroom, they, it's just <sighs> what a day. I just had to cut up my ex-wife and bury her in the fucking backyard. And then again, doesn't immediately she she, she show up all dressed up with her son? Pretty much after all of that. Not long um, after, yeah. 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 Because yeah, like, it, yeah, it was great meeting you earlier. Will you uh, watch take my kid, my son, and give him a fucking bath, like while I go get yeah. fucking dogged out? <laughs> well, I get my my eighties um, hookup on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did notice. The kid even says it. He has a buzz-off figure, a vintage buzz-off figure. And did you notice? And did you notice he's playing with a battle armor Skeletor? Yes. Yeah. Only us toy geeks would notice shit like that. But yeah, to He-Man characters, yes. I I purpose. I need to point this out. You notice how he just, he's crying. He starts crying. He's crying because, you know, he, the, the other guy's writing and he's crying and all upset. Right. Do this, he's crying. But then when he is kidnapped, the kid is silent. Just like, okay, I'm going to be kidnapped, whatever. <laughs> right, it is. That wasn't upset him at all. Nor does he tell his mom that, you know, anything. He was oddly sedate during that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, it, well, you, you did catch the the line or when he's crying on the floor. He's like, you know, do you want buzz off? You know, or do you want to play with it? Do you want some other toys or you know, like a plastic bag? Yeah, yeah I, I got that <laughs> plastic bag, maybe. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> maybe the reason he got you know he got sleepy is maybe he put a he slipped a Mickey fin in his milk, <laughs> you know, and that. Oh, you got sleepy eyes now. I put him to bed well, so I don't have to deal he, with him. He did have the Valium. I mean, yep. <laughs> <laughs> damn, this movie just took a dark turn. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing with with kids in movies too. Is whenever I it always sticks out to me when I see a kid that really pulls off uh, some some quality acting, you know, and, and is reacting to what's happening in the scene really well. When you look at the the little boy in Cujo. I don't think I've ever seen a more terrified kid on film than that little kid. And I mean, and he knows it's a movie. He knows it's a guy in a dog suit doing all that, but that kid was selling it. A lot of times it's the, the ladder that you end up with these kids, like, you know, the, the babysitter kid in this movie where he's like, whatever. <laughs> right. You know, he's just happy to be there. Like, Oh, I get these free He-Man figures for being in this movie. Cool. Like, you know, and he doesn't really inform, you know, he's not reacting to what's going on. They're just like, okay, yeah, so these things right here are going to pull you up the chimney, all right? Don't say anything. <laughs> and there was, I, I love, I love this scene, too, because, you know, the kid's now missing, you know, and so he starts looking for him, and you see one for a hot second before it closes the door upstairs. These two things are the creepiest looking fuck. I don't know what the fuck oh, they're yeah, supposed to be. Oh, yeah, they're little Yeah, they're exaggerated face. Oh. In fact, yeah. uh, one of them was played by, uh, I can never pronounce his last name, Felix, was it Silva? Silva, yeah. yeah. Um, who was Tweaky in Buck Rogers. I've actually met him. Um, really, really nice. I mean, he passed away last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Really nice guy. That's cool. I... Oh, yeah, Felix Silva. Yep. The yeah. little critter. <laughs> and they're they're pulling him up the fucking chimney, and they're he's fighting with it. That whole scene just made me laugh. 
Because <laughs> if you notice, he's trying to use his legs. He's hooking himself on the edge of the fire uh, fireplace so they don't pull him up. And oh no, and let's spread the legs out of it. Nope, let's use the knees. Nope, and back and forth until they finally fall down. And that was the cleanest chimney I've ever seen. <laughs> that was a big chimney too, like yes. big. Yes. Big Santa Claus chimney. <laughs> and I did not pull that kid apart. I expected that, Art. I was waiting on it. I was like, oh my God, they're going to pull this kid in half. Like, right. Yeah, like, at least be like, oh, sorry, I broke your kid. Yeah, dislocate <laughs> his shoulders, fuck up his spine, something. <laughs> right. It, it, his ankles. Like, okay, like not a freaking peep. <laughs> yeah, nonplussed by the potato demon kids that are pulling him up the chimney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wishes garbage pail kids. <laughs> garbage pail kids if you got them from Ugh. Wish. <clears throat> you know, um yeah. Matt, do you care? No, no that's fine. fine I'll be right back. Sorry. So where were we? Uh the kid, right? The, the kid and the garbage <laughs> pail kids. Yes. Being pulled <laughs> up the fucking chimney. And I did a pause. Because uh, for a split second, you see their faces when they're in the chimney. I, I paused it just to take a look. They're fucking creepy looking. Oh, yeah. So I the I don't think we saw enough of them. I think those were some of the strongest, like, evil characters in the movie. And they were that in the, in the closet monster. I feel like you just you see them so kind Quickly. of starkly and briefly that they don't they don't linger on them. Mm -hmm. That's a shame. Mm, true, true. Because I completely forgot about them until I watched it again last night. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I remembered all the other characters. Well, the closet monster looked like it was straight out of Hellraiser, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, you you definitely get that Hellraiser vibe out of the thing. But Hell Hellraiser hadn't been made yet. No, it didn't come out till '87. But uh, and then you get and since we're talking the monsters, I'm sorry that. When he goes into the bathroom cabinet and starts rappelling down into the darkness, that thing they have flying around is, it looks like it's something out of Doom. It looks like they took a <laughs> Doom monster and decided uh, to, and the fact that it That's uses, the, oh, no, go, go ahead. the fact that it They're uses the me of, um, wasn't that like the same type of thing that was in um, Army of Darkness? Yes, it was. Yes, yes, it was. It also looked like a, a graphic that was on a skateboard I used to have. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, let's see here. So, yeah, that thing was goofy and it like twirls the shotgun when it takes it away from him. And, um, oh, yeah. oh, I know. It, let me back up for a second to when he's watching the kid. I, I, I noticed something. So, he, they're sitting on that settee or whatever before he gets taken and they're watching TV for a minute. And he's watching his ex-wife's soap opera. If you listen closely to earlier on when Norm steals the phone book, he says, well, what's the name of your wife's show? Resort. It comes on tonight at 10 o'clock as he's walking out the door. And the, the first of all, the dialogue is fucking inane. It is so bad, the, the, <laughs> the dialogue. But... I think they're doing a spoof off of an actual show at the time. Do anyone remember the show Hotel? I was about to say, that's a, a spoof of Hotel. Because they called it Resort. It's So they're mm -hmm. spoofing Hotel. I never noticed that. But, so I will so, say, too, that, that um, Roger 
the character and William Cat is really good with that kid once things kind of settle down. Yes. Um, I thought that was, that was, it was kind of sweet. Um, almost him kind of reconciling, you know, like he's, he's lost his son, but it's like showing, it's almost like he's trying to regain that, that connection with, with his son through this kid. Yeah. I, I felt, I felt, especially in the bath scene, when yeah. they start splashing each other and whatnot, I I got that too. But yeah. Art, I'm with you. Get any less creepy that a stranger is bathing somebody's kid? Oh, it's <laughs> super creepy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I'm in in the, it's fa- the sweetest creepy thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's it, and it's totally not not weird that the mom. Oh yeah, give him a bath. I just met you ten minutes ago, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, here's some here's some new clothes for him too. Like. <laughs> like all of that is just yeah no some pajamas and his favorite blankie he likes to be tickled here <laughs> oh. Uh. <laughs> oh out of out of all of them she's the most uh, should I say it's sus I mean she shows up half naked in in a pool then um and does not notice him at all bearing the stinky monster. Um, and then she shows up with her kid. Give him a bath. Here you go. I got things to do. <laughs> I mean, she might be the biggest monster in this movie, actually. I know. <laughs> let's let's face it. Let's face it. She wanted some deck. Okay, this is this is why she dropped him off. It was a last minute booty call. In anyways, she probably well, she met totally... the guy at the VHS dating service. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite, like, uh, unearthed video clips on uh, Facebook is the the VHS dating thing. There's a couple of them out there, too, and they're all bad. Oh, they're pure gold. (laughs) (laughs) I can, uh, anyways, so okay. Um, (laughs) come on, get back up here. Well, I feel like she was feeling Roger in that sweater because she could see his, his clavicle and, uh, you know, and his his uh, xiphoid process, <laughs> right? And, and the lower pectorals, um, and then yeah, but she probably got the call from from you know Randy down at the the uh, <laughs> the beeper store. <laughs> um, you know, she had to run off and and get her dick appointment. <laughs> so, so, so now we have George Went coming back over because he's. Uh, He's going to help out Roger, right? And he tells him, you know, there's this giant raccoon in the fucking closet. And we're going to shoot it with a harpoon gun and reel it in. Now, if you notice, he has a a huge fishing rod with the mount on the, it's bolted to the floor. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it comes in, you know, he shoot it, he shoots it and it, wraps around his foot and he gets pulled into the fucking the closet my question is why did he take that rod out of the the holder there's no way he could have held that thing himself he had a better chance of reeling it in had he left it in that holder that was probably a panic move so of course the 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 thing snaps and we see roger now back in vietnam well, it, I don't want to skip over this. No, no, go ahead. I feel like Norm's reaction is 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 gold in that moment, and he—that's the first time yep. that anybody other than Roger 
has reacted to, to one of these things. Or has it ever um, even seen any of these things? Other than the kid, other than the kid and the potato kids or whatever, but he he seems really like young, it so. didn't react. It's like it didn't even happen. Yeah, I mean, like that's he, he didn't even it's care. Like, he was like, eh. <laughs> so that doesn't count. I feel like George yeah. reacting to that and being like, "Fuck!" Like that's <laughs> the first time that it's like, okay, wait. So he's not imagining all these things. That's where it kind of splits to where it becomes a straightforward monster movie in a haunted house movie. Where okay, these things are actually happening to him. Because Norm just saw it. And Norm just saw him get sucked into the thing. So, like, that makes it real, even though he gets drunk and, and drinks it away. And that that makes him process that, where it's like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know. um, which I thought was a little bit lazy. But that was just so that they didn't have to involve Norm, completely involve him going forward with the rest of the film. Right, because he's essentially passed out on his couch. Yeah, well, I mean, he had a bottle, like a half a bottle of Jack Daniels, too. So he basically drank himself to sleep. And I feel like they did that as a mechanism to where it's like, oh, wow. So he either forgot that from being drunk or he thinks that he imagined it. I have another theory, though. I think he died and went to hell and woke up in Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, oddly enough, um, Cliff from Cheers is in the sequel. Exactly. Yep. Yep. It's like. I feel like that's what they do when they're not at the bar drinking is they have these like ridiculous fucking adventures <laughs> or the cheers is actually hell. And that's where they end up after going into these houses. It could be Ted Danson is the devil. Yep. Well, it's like, that's like when Bobby dies in Dallas, this is kind of totally off the subject. Bobby dies, <laughs> ends up in step-by-step with the same <laughs> fucking nephew. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> dude. Wow. That by step is also hell. That's a deep cut. <laughs> it's it's one of the it's one of the nine rings. <laughs> oh, I see here. So he, am I wrong here? No. Uh, yeah, he, he go. This is when he goes back to Vietnam. Am I think? Yeah. Wait a minute. Am I wrong here? Yeah, he goes back to Vietnam after getting drugged through the closet. Right, and uh, that's where he relives told. the thing with Ben. Yep. Yeah, they're about to go on patrol, and him and Ben take point, and yeah. Ben gets injured and shot up and begs him to kill him. Yeah. And he won't. And this is when he's, he is they're dragging him away. He's like, I'll get you for this. You know, if this is the last thing I do, I'll get you for this. And- I feel like both of those actors tried to sell that scene heavily dramatically and they just didn't earn it. Like they didn't give them enough time to really, you know, cause they're both like, you know, crying and having these like, like, you know, that that's heavy, heavy drama for an actor is to have a scene like that. Where it's like, kill me, kill me. You know, uh, uh, like, you know, he's begging for him to kill him so that he doesn't, you know, have to go through this atrocity. And and he's like struggling with it because that's his friend. And it's like, right. I can't, I can't, I can't. Uh. But certainly but, no Forrest and Bubba. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they just, they don't, they don't earn it. And like, it's just, it's kind of jammed in there. And it's like, you're supposed to, you're supposed to feel for uh, Roger's character, but it's, it just happens so fast that it's kind of, it, it it's not laughable, but it's almost like that mixed with the the horrible Vietnam set. It it could have been much better um, had they given it more attention. And this, you're right, because that's a heavy scene. I mean, it um, is, and it it just I don't want to say it falls flat, but this is like the the pivotal moment of the entire story because the whole reason why. 
why his kid's missing and everything else that happened to him is because, well, spoiler alert, Big Ben kidnaps his kid. And this is the impetus of that happening. And it, it plays out so quick. It's like, boom, it's done. And then he runs back through the, you know, the door back into the house. It sets up so much consequence uh, of him, him making that decision not to kill him. But they don't really, like I said, they didn't earn it because they didn't really establish, they kind of established that Ben was kind of a prick and like put the snake in his cigarette pouch or whatever. Right. And that he was kind of a bully and kind of an asshole. So it's not like they were, you know, blood brothers and, 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 you know, oh yeah, here's a picture of my girl back home and I'm just a really good guy. I mean, it's, they didn't, they didn't kind of earn it with that and they didn't show them being like having that camaraderie. So it, it, it just, it, like you said, it falls flat. It hits on the surface because it's like, oh, well, there's really not much to this because God was kind of an asshole anyway. Yeah. So he shouldn't have that, that big struggle of like, no, I can't kill you because, you know, I love you so much, man. It's right. just not there. When you first see Ben in the first shot, you see him, uh, you know, uh, Roger's sleeping and he's standing next to him having a smoke when his LT wakes him up and i think they tried to establish that they were good friends in this particular scene but it falls flat yeah so well i feel like it falls flat on the page too i don't i don't blame the actors i think it's just it was kind of poorly written where you know if you're going to establish a camaraderie with two soldiers i just don't feel like that's the way to do it right i feel like there's a much better like you know you can have a few bars in a script where it's like okay, yeah, these guys give a shit about each other, you know? And right. that, they just didn't do it with that. So, moving forward here, so we, okay, um, resort, comes back out of the closet, um, trying to see here. George went home. Yep, he takes him home. This is where we established that he's a very small apartment, trying, them, two of them trying to fit through that hallway. Now, at least he was nice enough to, you know, cover him up with a blanket and leaves so then <laughs> so he, he goes back and he goes into the wait a minute here at what point i'm missing something at what point he makes the connection with the painting in the garage he's looking at the painting and he remember there's like a, a piece of cloth on the left side of the painting and he when he pulls it down he, he sees his son, he's gonna go through the mirror right he sees his son in the mirror of the bathroom that's right so he goes up and he opens it, nothing there. And uh, what, does he throw something to break the glass? That yeah, I thought it was like yeah. one of those trophies. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where essentially Cthulhu comes out of the fucking uh, the hole and tries to pull him in. He's got the thing with the tentacles and the hands and they're trying to pull him in. I have a hard time when he reaches over and grabs that fucking straight razor off the back of the toilet. I'm sorry. He would have <laughs> cut the fuck out of his hands trying to open that thing. And then as he's flailing around trying to cut up the the, the tentacles, he would have gotten cut several times here. Or am I looking at this too hard? Oh, <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah, so. I think that's very feasible. <laughs> So then he realizes this is how I got to get my kid. So he takes some clothesline, wraps it around the toilet, and of all the things, the toilet. I don't. I, 
I'm no plumber, but I don't think a toilet would have held his weight repelling down into a void. I don't know. If maybe you, if you I assume that he weighed about what 150, 165 pounds. About that. I, yeah. I yeah, I could see that. I mean, if it's bolted to the floor. I mean, if you look at how your toilet's mounted to the floor, even those older ones, yeah, I could see it holding him. Well, he got the weight of the toilet. Not only that, it's bolted to the floor. He doesn't weigh a whole lot. Right. I mean, he's and, not a very large man. No. No. And I, <laughs> I, I do like the fact that he was able to use the string to make a sling for a shotgun that, that showed foresight. And here's where he's lowering himself into the void, and we get the monster from Doom. Out of all the monsters in this movie, I think this is the cheesiest looking one. It's it's claymation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's stop stop animation or whatever. And I I love how it grabs the gun from him and is accurate enough shot to shoot the fucking rope and has him fall down into the water. Well, it is a shotgun, but still, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> so he, he he splashes in the water he's now back in vietnam where he sees his son in a cage and i do like i think they did a really good job here establishing the i guess how would i put this the relief i guess of yes my son's okay here he is he's actually in front of me and which is we, odd because you know when he saw his wife in front of him she turned into a dead eye i mean yeah. I kind of expected that too. I was like, oh, this is another trick. <laughs> His kid's really like a zombie beaver or something. <laughs> He's a zombieaver. Zombieaver. <laughs> so he he gets the kid out and we hear gunfire and we hear Big Ben, but we we don't see him yet. And he jumps into the water with the kid, and Ben has got to be the worst fucking shot on earth if he's missing him with an M60 like that. Well, he has been dead a while. Yeah, this is true. But he's got that one eyeball that's kind of hanging out of his head, too. (laughs) He's he's, one-eyeing it. (laughs) He's swimming around, and he comes up in the pool, which I thought was an interesting coincidence. He emerges in the pool. Now it goes back inside. And then, now I don't remember, does Ben show up to the front door, or is he just in the house? He shows up at the front door when him and his son are leaving. That's right. Are trying to get out of the house. Now, you're you're right, Matt. Where the the costume first. By the way, Richard Mole was not wearing that costume. He yeah, was a totally was a different, different actor. actor. As dated as it looks, it's still cool looking. It, oh it's, yeah. it's a neat looking. The aesthetic make- of it is really nice, and I remember being just terrified of him when I was a kid. It just didn't age well. Um, cause I mean, especially with the higher definitions that we see now, you can see the mouth moving and, mm-hmm. um, it just looks like you, you can kind of see the stretch of the latex as the, as he's saying stuff. Um, it just, it's not as effective as it was, you know, when I was a kid. Right. And the other thing I noticed in, maybe I'm just too picky here, but every time we see Ben, when he's alive on his helmet, he has two bones that are crossed in a skull on top of the helmet. But when he comes back from the dead, they're gone. Yeah. That annoyed me. (laughs) If they're doing it enough to establish that this has been dead, you should at least get the fucking helmet right. Anything else, at least get the helmet right. 
okay, I get that his uniform's in tatters. Okay, fine. Even his boots are in tatters. But at least get the helmet, right? Good. Well, and, did you did you see the uh, like his his exposed guts uh, yeah. in the in the suit or whatever? Mm-hmm. I felt like that was kind of a thing where like like they you know they kept him alive for two weeks, but they probably like tore him open. And um, I feel like they 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 didn't explain it because all he says to Roger is they you know they they didn't kill me for two weeks. Yeah, they tortured me for two weeks. Yeah. But I, don't, I feel like they could have gotten really uh, in depth with that. What's crazy though is how did he survive two weeks? Because he didn't he take like five or six rounds of the chest, right? Oh, yeah, he got duped up. Yeah, um, they they peppered him with when he got shot. And those are seven point six two rounds. Those are blowing some yeah. those holes through him. So yeah, that's what I couldn't understand. Is like how <laughs> how did he survive two weeks to be tortured, taking that many rounds in the chest? I don't know, man. Uh, it's like that scene from the Kentucky Fried movie where the dude cuts his head off and he's like, now take him to be tortured. <laughs> but it's only a flesh wound. <laughs> he's big so, man. He can take five eight or nine shots. It's fine. <laughs> so, so he went to hell and he came back into night court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his hell is being a bailiff. <laughs> yep. And not a very Never. smart one, too. He lost some gray matter in the process. <laughs> Here's where we start seeing Ben in the house. I mean, he's he's chasing him through the whole scene. Every time uh, he turns around, there's Ben. I mean, now I do like he finally he gets pissed off and he starts beating his ass on the on the flight of stairs going up to the second floor. And he you know, he tells he tells his Jimmy, you know, get out of the house. You know, you got to find help. Gets up to the the second floor, and the whole thing with the window. In fact, for the longest time, if I remember correctly, the the scene the the shot of Ben looking out the window wasn't that a a cover or something for one of the the, the DVD or the movie or whatever? Because that I've, I know I've seen that before. That shot of dead Ben looking out the window. I thought it was on the back of the VHS. That it's could be. The back of the VHS box, yeah. That's why, okay. And granted, he does say one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. He goes, yeah, I'm finally back from the, I'm back from the dead and I'm out of, and I'm out of ammunition. He just <laughs> throws the gun down. I'm like, okay. So, I like yeah. when he hacks up the door and he's looking through it and it's totally a shining moment. Yes. Here's Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Here's ben. It makes you wonder about the uh, the rules of the afterlife here. It's like he's a ghost, but he has limited ammo. <laughs> yeah. How does that happen? Yeah. Shouldn't he have like unlimited, you know, ghost rounds? Uh, you would think in ghost bullets. <laughs> I mean, hey, yeah. But it's great. Walking dead, doesn't that, you know, establish that there are no limits? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But his grenade works. Yeah. Right. After being, you know, he's probably been in water and anyways, but it's a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) So as he's chasing him around the house, I I do like, you know, he goes up onto the roof and he comes back down from the, from the attic. The part that really blew my mind is when he he goes in the kitchen, he opens the, the steps into the kitchen and the whole house itself is on an, the edge of a cliff. That was one of my favorite shots in the movie, actually. Yep. And he's hanging there. 
And now I find it really implausible that he's able to make a lasso out of his belt with one hand while hanging there and have it work first time. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll, I'll let that slide. Well, no, well, well, no, see, that's passable only because he's already established that his how that, that in the house, his son or another child could get taken, but he tells his kid to go off by himself and find help. That's like any other horror movie when, when they say, let's split up. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, let, let, there, there's a, a, a psycho fucking killer running around. Let's go into a room and not turn on a light. But yeah, I thought that was weird too, where it's like, wait, I mean, how do you know if he, he's not going to open the door and then end up, you know, in another dimension that now you got to go find him again. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah, that that was kind of stupid. So, and now I do like how they, when he lassoes Ben and he flings him off, if you watch, when he falls, he he actually hits water. Yeah. So when they did that shot, I'm guessing they probably had a dummy or something and actually tossed it off a cliff and they merged the two shots together. That I was actually really impressed with. I thought that was, that was one of the most, um, impressive shots in the whole movie i was like wow wow that 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 feels like out of place in this movie with some of the other quaint you know sets and things like that it does it's totally unexpected because when you compare that to the vietnam set it's like this is in the same movie (laughs) and it just doesn't yeah it was jarring so pulls himself up and this is where i think ben comes in through a window because he he always seems to reappear. He's like the you know, he's like the monster in Scooby Doo. He he turns around and boom, there he is. But he, he's got his kid and he's got a knife to him, and he's like, I'm. He's like, you have a choice. I'm either going to kill your kid or you're going to kill yourself. Which is interesting. It's a very interesting choice, I suppose. And but this is where uh, you know Rogers he realizes he's not afraid of him anymore. He oh, even he even says it. I'm not afraid of because he goes to cut. Doesn't he try to cut his hand off and it doesn't work? Yeah, well, he yeah, did for like a second, and then he realized mm-hmm. that yeah, he wasn't. It was just a ghost. Ghosts can't hurt you. Ghosts mm-hmm. aren't real, right? And then his well, hands like, like magically healed. Well, I feel like him asking Roger to kill himself or to kill his kid. That was kind of like a tip of the hat that Ben didn't really have any power. He's like, I'm going to try to trick you into doing this because i can't do this i can't kill you i can't kill the kid or else I, he would have done it so it's it's almost like he, he he showed his hand and then that's when roger's like that's when he finally gets it and he's like wait a minute no all i have to do is just not be afraid of you and and not believe in you right it, it goes back to what the aunt said the house tricked me so and it's like it, a little kid it's like a little kid thinking that a monster's in there and under their bed and they have to convince themselves that they're not afraid and then it's not there and this is where, of course, you know, he great. He's like, no, you're not. And I, I for as evil as Ben's supposed to be, it's he's it, kind of passive because he just grabs the kid or the, he grabs his son away from him, grabs the fucking grenade, pulls the pin with his teeth, and shoves it up into his rib cage. And Ben's just kind of letting him do it. He doesn't even attempt to fight back. And you know, this is where you, know, I'm going to get you for this. And he explodes. The fire comes up, and of course, the mom pulls up in the cab. Do you catch get... the number on the cab? No, not the phone number, but the like the cab number. No, four zero one, which is also the hull number of Titanic. 
which I thought that was kind of weird and meta, but and it could have been oh. an accident, but that's interesting. That's deep. I, yeah, yeah, I never <laughs> knew that. So of course, there's the mom standing there, and you know they're reunited. <laughs> and the way this movie ends, it's just real quick. Boom, the end. He's standing on the the porch. He has his family back and his kid back. Boom, end roll credits. And they're all smiles. Right. <laughs> Yay, we did it. It, it's almost like the writers are like, I don't know how to end this. Let's just fucking end it here. <laughs> so, Basically, yeah. It was like a long lead up, then that boom, and then everything's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a little abrupt. Um, but, you know, it, it's, I feel like they didn't really have anywhere to go. I feel like they ran out of gas um, and probably ran out of budget, you know, because where do you go from there? Right. <laughs> now, it, when I do think, though, it may be in, it, Maybe it's just the dialogue, but yeah. when Ben says, you know, I'll, I'll get you for this, were they trying to set up a, maybe a possible sequel with Ben? Probably. It like it, but obviously well, I mean, they, they didn't They happen. shot part two almost concurrently with this. They shot it right after. Yeah. What, what I always thought was weird, though, is that the house in the second film was a different house. Yeah. With its own backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen House 4, which is like actually has him in it again, right? Reprising yep. his role. Yep, House 4 kind of continues on. I've never seen it, although I've seen chunks of it, but it kind of continues on with this. Mm-hmm. But House 3 and House 4, I've never seen. I know Lance Hendrickson is in one. Uh, is he in the fourth, I think? I think so. Um, I think he's in the fourth. Um, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but there's a YouTuber, uh, uh, Minty's Comic Reviews. He does a good review of all four house films. If you're interested, go back and check out his, because he kind of goes over all, all of them. So Nice. Yeah, I prefer House 2 uh, to this one, honestly. I, I like this one. Um, it's fun. But I think I think the, the identity crisis that this movie has because the tone is kind of all over the place mm-hmm. um, yeah it is comedy is very abbott and costello uh very evil dead very like slapstick and the horror parts aren't really scary so it it kind of wants to do a few different things and it doesn't it doesn't do any of them particularly well um but it all adds up to an enjoyable movie right um, even even with its faults i think part two embraces the zany a little bit more and, and it's more of an adventure you, yeah. you it just, it's nice yeah 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 i was about to say yeah you, you you're 100 right it's it's very adventurous and it kind of opens that whole other dimensional idea up more instead of just vietnam and the house <laughs> right it, so there's ancient mayans and there's dinosaur people and a pterodactyl and a you know it has that going on for it, um, and it answers and and it answers its questions. This one, where this one kind of left, like what? Yeah, know. yeah. It, it 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 it's more aware of itself than this mm-hmm. movie, I think. Um, and also, part two. Not not that we're talking about that one uh, fully, but the relationship between uh, grandpa or Uncle Jesse or Grandpa Jesse and and the young the Jesse character is really really nice and it's right. really sweet and there's a there's a um, a heartfelt moment where like when they're saying goodbye or whatever where it's like hey i got to meet my great great grandson 
right and, and party with them you know <laughs> and um it, and i feel like the bad guy in that one the um slim or, or yeah slim it's slim yeah i feel like he is five times more terrifying than big ben ever was oh yeah um he's he's got the better you know uh, the scarier uh face makeup and the voice and everything just that that heavy like no um, i'm trying to remember that voice was from a cartoon that was frank welker yep. uh during you. dr claw yep that's it megatron uh, megatron um that's his dr claw devil voice <laughs> Um, I can do it, but I'm not going to do it now because it'll shred my, my, uh, yeah, don't do that. Cords. Well, I, I do know, I, I, I did felt, feel that house two, I, at times I think was trying to do too much. Yeah. Yeah. But I say we're not there yet, but so as we usually do, um, if you were rate this film one to 10, one being the worst 10 being, you know, the best movie you've ever seen, where does it fall? I'd give it at least an eight. Yeah, I would say an eight or a nine. Wow. I enjoyed it. I think that it it's one of those movies that you can watch, as I said, 20, 30 years later. And um, it's still, it's it's so, it's it's nostalgic. It's, um, you can look back and it still holds up, you know? So. I, I, I give it a six. Um, I'm a little bit more, I, I feel like, I feel like the things I like about it I don't love, but I like um, the things that I don't like about it. Definitely skew that score um, because it makes it a little hard to get past. Um, but it's it's an enjoyable movie. It's it's a it's a weird one, and it's it it's it's hard. I think the hardest type of movie to pull off is a horror comedy. Um, very few movies can actually do that. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, Evil Dead. Um, American Werewolf in London, like there's just, there's literally a handful of movies that successfully pull it off. Um, I think this falls <laughs> in the category, but it's definitely not in that. I don't think it's in the same echelon as those movies. Um, I just think it, it, it wants to be, I just think it has limitations that keep it from there. Um, but I, I, I like it. It's, it's, I feel like this was William Katz's chance to be like a leading man because uh, he had just come off of Greatest American Hero. Mm-hmm. Um, he hadn't done a lot of movies before this. Um, I know he was in uh, Butch and Sand- Sundance the early years, and uh, he was the boyfriend in Carrie that yep. that take the guy that takes her to the prom, um, and famously was almost Luke Skywalker. Yep, I've I've seen the footage of him of the uh, yeah. the test footage. Yeah. Did you say it was him and uh, I think Kurt Russell um, yep. reading together? And that was that's a, a fascinating watch. Um, but he uh, he never really got too many um, big roles after this. I feel like it was kind of this was kind of his swan song. I mean, he's done other things, but he never had that big breakout. Um, yep, the B movie. Yeah. <laughs> like and the Lifetime movies and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And- He's best known for Greatest American Hero. That's always going to be his legacy, you know? So, yeah, and that's the one that he hates the most. Probably. <laughs> so, you know, for, yeah. my, for myself, I would, I would rate this an eight. I would eight and a half. Eh, no, seven and a half, eight. I'm with you, Matt. It has, it's, it, it doesn't seem to know where it's going, but 
it was made as a low budget quickie horror movie the i don't think they put a lot of uh from i, I was starting to watch the uh the audio commentary on the blu-ray i i didn't because it, it was too distracting when i was trying to take notes last night but from what i was reading the uh, Sean S. Cum- or S. Cunningham, he, when he got the script, he liked it. Or no, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, Stephen Miner got the the script, and he's like, "I like this. Let me take it to Sean and see if we can get this made real quick because this should, looks like an interesting movie." Yep. And one, two, three, they, it was real quick and dirty. In fact, he even says in the opening shot when they're tracking through the backyard, he says, "You know, I asked for a crane and I actually got it." I wasn't expecting to get a crane to do this shot, <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I definitely rated a solid eight. Well, and Steve Miner, the director, he did some really solid. I mean, he's a solid director. Um, mm-hmm. He did um, the two Friday the Thirteenth movies, uh, two and three. He did this uh, a year later. He did Soul Man. Yep. Did C. Thomas Howell, which you know, despite its its social connotations, is actually a pretty funny movie. Um, and very uh, progressive. Uh, most people don't realize that when they haven't seen it. Uh, it's a very pro-black movie. Um, he did Warlock. Yep, I love Warlock, so. uh, which is another underrated one. Um, <laughs> most of, it's funny. Most of the problems I have with that that movie is what kind of bugs me about this one too is the wardrobe choices because Laurie Singer has the stupidest haircut in history in that movie. Yeah, but Julian um, Sands looks awesome. Come on now. Oh, he was fantastic. And the <laughs> werewolf hunter guy, the uh, the witch hunter um, mm-hmm. character was Renfield, awesome. Renfield, or not Renfield. Uh, anyways, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but um, he did Forever Young, um, did Big Bully. I mean, he's had a fairly good career. Um, Halloween H2O, which sucked, but he did Lake Placid, which I also love. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, he's had a really kind of all over the place, done a lot of TV. Um, so when I saw that name, I was like, wait a minute, I've seen stuff that this guy's done. And um, he's not a household name, but he he, he did a fairly good um, good job with this one. It's just that, like I said, it's a, I feel like if, what bothers me the most about this movie and why I give it a six is that I feel like there's a better movie just hidden inside of it. And that was the frustrating part for me is once I kind of, realize that i was like i you know the movie i'm seeing isn't the movie i want to see but it definitely i mean it's it stands apart from a lot of movies of that era Mm -hmm. and it could have very easily especially with a budget that low gone the completely other way and just been a complete mess um which happens more often than not it seems so i don't hate it but (laughs) so is this a a must watch. Yeah, I think everybody should see it at least once. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So do I. It's one of the again. It's one of those weirdly, maybe not iconic status, but it's firmly rooted in the mid '80s that you a horror flick that you should see at least once because it's so unique. Yeah, because I think if make... you're a horror fan, you have to see this one. It's it's kind of it's got that pedigree. Right. Yep. Did any of you get like say you know? talk about it because i was telling him what are you doing oh i'm watching house the movie oh i didn't know he made a movie yeah, yeah i i got that i mentioned to someone uh, i was doing oh you're doing the series no i'm not doing the series it, it's a horror movie what oh never mind just never mind yeah it's like it's like oh. 
I feel like it is is that why they called it House MD, even though nobody calls it that? To separate seen, it from yeah, because I've seen House and then I, and I feel like when that show was on, everybody just called it House. But then when you see it, it's like House MD. Yeah, well, maybe to establish that it was a medical show. Yeah, and that's yeah. not like House Hunters or something. Yeah, true. Yeah, because there's so many like yeah. That makes sense. So, anything else we want to touch up on this? No, I think uh, we're good. We want to talk about that sweater some more. (laughs) (laughs) Things awesome. Not damn it. Now I got to find one. (laughs) I should have called this movie the problem with sweaters. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unless there's nothing else, everyone, thank you very much. And we will see you on the next one. And if if you enjoy our videos, please hit like and subscribe. It helps the channel out.